Hey, listen, you guys, just go out and have fun tonight. Play with joy. Play with joy. Be thankful, right? Gratitude, like you've done all year. It's just a game. Have a great time. Play together as a team. Do all the little things right. If we do the little things well, the other stuff takes care of itself. Play with freedom. Play free. Enjoy the process, but play together as a team. Has everybody got it? And just focus on one play at a time. Good play, move on to the next one. If a play didn't go our way, move on to the next one. Look, I'm proud of you guys. I love every one of you guys in this room. And the nice thing is I know you all love one another. Go out with the love that you have for each other and just bond together as a group and have a great time and you'll come back here and you'll be happy. All right? But you can't think of the future, just think of it now. So go out in there and be who we are. Be who God created you to be. Let's go. Welcome to the More Than a Club podcast with Marty Cuprian and Bill Lane. Welcome back to the More Than a Club podcast, season three. We're excited to be back in the studio and ready to take on another new and meaningful guest. As usual, we're very grateful for our listeners and our fans. We couldn't pull it off without you these past two years. Your advice, your feedback, keep it coming. It's been great spreading the word about our show, so keep at it. Today, we have a usual, unusual little twist I don't have my usual co-host, Marty Cuprian. He is home with his lovely wife and their newborn son, Jackson Cuprian, a future lefty attackman. And so Coop has some time off to be with mom and baby, and replacing him for the day will be Coach Peter Lawrence, boss here at Next, president and executive vice president of Boys Lacrosse here at Next, and former college head coach at the Hartford Hawks. Coach of the Year up in New England back in 2011, and Roanoke Hall of Fame two-time All-American. I didn't know that, Coach. Impressive stuff. Thank you. Thanks for being with us. You ready to do this? I'm ready to do it. want to give a little shout-out to uh, Baby Jackson as well, and um, Coach Coop and uh, Jenny. Uh, congratulations. Yeah. Now, last time we were doing this, you said you were coming off the top rope. I don't know what that means, yep. but I think I'm going to find out. Right? I like to breathe the big energy <laughs> like a wrestler. It was your idea a couple years ago to start this podcast. You picked me and Coop. I mean, any initial thoughts as you look back? I think this is about like executors, and um, I'm just happy to have supported you guys. Um, I think you've done an amazing job, uh, both you and Coach Coop, of bringing on great guests, and excited to get to know uh, Coach Kelly uh, more tonight. All right. Today, as usual, we will touch on aspects of youth lacrosse for players, parents, and coaches. And joining us virtually is one of my dearest friends, oldest friends, and one of the nation's best high school head coaches, Brian Kelly from the superpower Calvert Hall College High School in Towson, Maryland. Welcome, Coach. It's great to have you with us. I'm glad to be here. So I should tell our listeners, we go way back. What do you think? 46 years of friendship, big wheels, wiffle ball games, and crushing Timonium, Maryland? Yeah, man. Pottsburg Elementary School to Ridgely Middle to Calvert Hall. Uh, Watch you get hit by a car on your bike <laughs> and fly about yeah. 20 feet. It's um, true. All of it. Yeah. So it's been, we've had a great, we had a great childhood together, man. It was a lot of fun. Thanks. You've been good to my family, to me. I'm just really grateful. And this is thrilling because not only do we play each other for years, 
you know, at LaSalle and Calvert Hall, but it's kind of, for me, it's like a summary. We get to go down memory lane a little bit, talk about your incredible career, and do that, um, you know, together tonight for all of our listeners. For those unfamiliar with Coach Kelly's achievements, hold tight, because here we go. As a player, he was a product of Cockeysville Youth League in Baltimore. And off to Calvert Hall High School, class of 1987, where he was a two-time MSA, later MIAA, All-American, and a full-year varsity team member, which was a big deal back in the 80s. After high school, he was selected to be on the very first Team USA under-19 world team, where he earned a gold medal. Then on to the University of North Carolina, where he won a national championship in 1990 and was a two-time All-American. Post-college, he was selected as an all-club defenseman for the Maryland Lacrosse Club for an amazing stretch from 1992 to 1997, plus some incredible stints with the Fellowship of Christian Athletes Originals team in Vail, Colorado. And as a coach, um, equally as impressive, um, after several years as the JV coach at Calvert Hall, took over as the varsity head coach, uh, really never looking back, five MIA state titles in 2003, 2012, um, and a three-peat in 2017, 18, 19, including being honored as the 2019 national champions, longest tenured coach in MIA currently, Coach Kelly has coached hundreds of collegiate lacrosse players, dozens of MIA All-Stars and All-Americans. Personally, he has been honored as the MIA Coach of the Year multiple times, the Baltimore Sun Coach of the Year, the USA Lacrosse Coach of the Year, amazingly the Max Preps Boys Lacrosse Coach of the Decade, um, in addition to all of his success at Calvert Hall, also helps lead um, the very well-regarded FCA Lacrosse Club out of Maryland, um, one of the most club competitive club teams in the nation. In addition, he's married to Heidi, and together they share five wonderful sons who all play lacrosse. Very, very impressive, Coach. Thanks. What did we miss, yep. BK? Uh, I think you put you threw some extra stuff in there. <laughs> I appreciate it, <laughs> Sure. Coach of the decade. I looked that up and was like, holy goodness. How'd that come about? Uh, I have no idea, but, you know, <laughs> this is having a lot of good players has helped you build a lot of, you know, we won a lot of good games. So it's a process, I guess. I don't know. A great honor. So our first segment tonight is always our youth sport hot topic, and that's for pa uh, parents who are listening. And you have a great perspective on this, BK. I mean, you're a, you're a coach of a successful high school. You're involved with FCA in the club world, and you're a dad. You're a dad of a of five boys and two of which and one yet to come are going to play division one lacrosse. And so you have like three different perspectives all wrapped in, into one and that's got to be complex in, at times. So in this triple role view, any thoughts? From a club perspective? From all three, right? You're a dad, you're a head coach and you're a club coach. That's a tough balance to have all three of these, you know, they kind of collide or don't collide. And yeah, I mean, I just think like the biggest thing about, um, just in, in the whole being a coach in it and involved in it from a club perspective. Um, I think the thing I, I, I see with parents, it's fear that drives them so often in a, in a negative way. Like, oh my gosh, this, and they look at comparison, like this guy's doing this. I got to do that. This person's doing it. I got to do that. We got to do this. We got to do that. And, you know, they don't have to do everything, you know, and it's like, um, you know, they just have to really do what's best for each individual child. Every kid's very, very different. You know, some kids um, can be playing at an elite level club, but some kids should not be, you know, and just, it doesn't matter. They all develop later at times and later in the process. And, 
I've had so many great kids that have come through Calvert Hall that were B players, you know, and just talking to their parents, like when they came in, in the club level, like your son's going to develop. He's, he hasn't hit puberty yet, or these other kids are just bigger and just getting them to settle and relax and just to trust the process is the, the most important thing. I think from a parent's perspective. How about when a young man is playing for FCA and so he's a part of the club you're a part of, and he also plays at Calvert Hall. And so maybe right. he runs on the first midfield at FCA, but he comes to Calvert Hall and he's a D midi. How do you right. resolve the difference between the two places where you coach the same kid? Yeah, that's a good, that's tough too, you know, because they'll come in with different expectations. And, um, you know, uh, the thing that we always try to stress both with FCA and, and obviously with Calvert Hall is your number one thing is to be a great teammate, you know, and whatever it's going to do to help the team um, is going to really be what you need, you need to do. Um, it's also hurt me at some levels too, where people, parents will say, oh my gosh, you have to play FCA to play at Calvert Hall, you know, which is so not true. Um, you know, if you look at our roster, we got kids from other clubs that are doing great, but, um, yeah, so you just have to manage those kids' expectations and, um, and, and as they develop, they'll, they'll, they'll get their opportunities. Was it different to look at the recruiting process as a dad than as the head coach of Calvert Hall or were they the same? Um, it's, I'll be honest. It was very hard for me as a dad, because it's like, you don't want to talk about your kid. It's a lot easier for me to say, you know, Billy Leahy, he's phenomenal. Uh, he's, you know, elite level guy, you know, when it comes to your kids, it's like, uh, I, he's, he's pretty good. Yeah. I think he's good. You know, you got to watch him play, you know? And then, so, um, what I did is I let my assistants talk to the coaches about my kids. That was a good idea. So, um, I had Joel call every coach, uh, Tinny, who's my assistant regarding my son, Joshua, who goes to Shuey. Um, I didn't call any really any of them. I, I talked to him in the middle of club games and stuff like that about our guys. Um, and obviously I talked to him about my son, but um, it's, it's hard, uh, you know, from a dad's perspective and a coach's perspective. And I think people go either one way or the other with their kids. They're either like, you, all you ever see on Instagram is their kid, you know, or something like that, you know, or the other way. And I'm probably more the other way. Um, not that one way is better than the other. I've just, um, they have to make their own message and their own story. So that's kind of how I, I handle that. How about coaching your own boys? Is that tricky? Um, you know, I, I've been blessed to have great assistants. So um, I never coached my kids. This is how I say it. So Dave Huntley, when he was coaching with me, he, he had total authority of benching, starting all of my kids. And people don't really, but like, Total. And there's times where my oldest son, uh, Jacob, he would, you know, pull out of a game and then I would, in my mind, like would want him to get back in the game um, because I felt like he needed, we needed him in this situation. And Dave's like, not yet, you know, and I never overrode him, but there's times where I wanted to yank him and he didn't, you know, and so I had to trust him on all that. So, and now Joel's in charge of, of my son, Shuey. Um, he has total authority of, where he is and plays and, you know, we, we talk about things and start. So that's how I do it. Coach Resch would always say to me, cause his boys played at LaSalle. He'd say, boy, when you yell at Patrick or Connor, I look right at you, but I know you're right. It's just what dads do. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, you just bite your lip and you, you do it. And, and I think it's made me a better coach being a dad. Um, honestly, you know, I know how parents feel, so I don't take it personal. Um, but like, 
I just trust, you know, you like if, if the shoe is on the uh, other foot, you know, Tony was coaching your son, you know, Tony knows what's best for your kids. So it's easy, you know, like, so I never really was upset when Dave would go on his tirades on Jacob or Daniel or whoever, you know, and Joel and stuff. Um, so you just, you just watch it. Yeah. Just doing a job. No, this is good stuff. I'm uh, I got a, a son coach who's a sophomore at the Haverford school um, right. and uh, plays club for me. So um, I'm kind of wearing that same hat that you're wearing. Um, so it's interesting to hear your perspective. Um, I think uh, in this uh, market, and I think probably very similar down in uh, Baltimore, sometimes I feel like there's this uh, strong sense of like it's D1 or bust, you know. Um, can you give us and our listeners like uh, a, just a good success story of someone that maybe has gone on and had a lot of success at the college level that maybe didn't end up at the UNCs of the world, uh, maybe weren't a star, um, you know, from day one in your program, um, but was able to still have a lot of success, um, you know, uh, in his college career? Yeah, I, I, there's a, a number of kids that I could tell you um, uh from a division one to division two, division three, that had just great experiences. Um, the most recent one is a kid named Garrett Zingalia. Um, Garrett is, um, he's a senior at Towson University right now. Um, I guess he's a two-time All-American, um, but he was a kid that was ready to leave Calvert Hall his sophomore year. I had lunch with his parents and he was a two-year JV player and like people go nuts to two-year JV and his parents were great. He just was this big, tall kid. He was like a baby giraffe. He just didn't, you know, it was kind of a little uncoordinated. He was never on the elite FCA team. He was always on that B white team. And um, I just shared with him, like, you know, look, just trust the process. I can tell your son is going to, he has it. He just needs to, he needed to work a little bit harder in the weight room and do some extra things. And to that kid's credit, he did. So his senior year comes around and he was not committed to a college at all. Um, recruited anywhere um so he already finished his club stuff and they really weren't watching the 2018s at that time they were looking at the, the 19s and things like that so I made some calls to a lot of college coaches and we had one more high school uh, fall event uh, NHLS thing that we were playing in and I called like four or five schools on them and and um the only school that really said hey I, I like listen thought I knew what I was talking about, I guess, was uh, Towson. And they said, we'll come to every game. I said, I promise you, I won't take him out one time. He'll play the whole entire game. <laughs> and uh, every game he played, I never – and I told the kids, I was like, look, I'm playing. Garrett's going to play the whole game because he's not recruited. And we go into these events playing some kid, the unrecruited kids more than the recruited kids. Uh, if, you know, it, we especially seniors and, and juniors. Um, and so he, they just caught his eye. They're like, wow, he's everything he said he is. And he ends up going there, started as a freshman, as a long pole, moved down, been a three, uh, two year starter down low and a two, uh, all league, all conference. Um, you know, and then his senior year at Calvert Hall, he became a first team all Metro, probably the best defenseman in the league, just the process. Yeah. Um, you know, so, uh, you know, he's a, a kid that just, you know, went through it and trusted it. And like, I always tell everyone, it's always going to work. It's going to work out. It's going to work out. And it always like, it, it just works out. It, it really does for these kids. And, and 
Um, you know, we've had kids who have just made decisions, you know, recently to, to schools that are seniors. We still have like six, five seniors who haven't decided yet today, you know, and still are, you know, in the process of it. And so, and they're going to land in good schools. Good place. No, I think you said it earlier is like, you know, fear drives so much of this, you know, process. There's like this fear of failing or you're, you know, you're not as good as one of your peers because, they committed, you know, six months, nine months, you know, uh, I agree with you completely. In the end, uh, most kids, you know, end up where they should have uh, or belong, you know, um, and everybody ends up finding the right fit. It's just, I use the expression, you got to kind of run your own race, you know, and some guys start the race really fast out the gates and they commit really early. And it doesn't mean that that's any better than it if you take, you know, uh, a few more months uh, to figure out the right fit. Um, again, I would just kind of circle back on maybe, um, you know, we have listeners that, you know, maybe their families are on this path of division one and two. Can you just talk maybe a little bit about what you think the value of division three that I think sometimes in this recruiting process, you know, gets overlooked. I see all these, you know, players that send me their list and everybody goes, coach, I want to go to UVA, Notre Dame, you know, Duke. And it's like, well, get in line. There's a lot of kids that want to go to those schools. Um, but what about the value of some great division three programs? I mean, look, my brother went to Washington College and had uh, a great experience uh, from a lacrosse, from an academic, all of it. I mean, there's really not much of a difference between Division three and Division one players, in my opinion. Maybe size, maybe a little bit of speed, but from a skill development, it's it's great lacrosse. Um, and then you look at what these Division three schools have to offer academically. Um, you know, they're if not better than the, the, the top level division one schools from an academics perspective. So um, it's great lacrosse. It, it's great academics. Um, you know, the unfortunate thing, not that it's unfortunate, but um, there's uh, more kids, there's less opportunities to play division one lacrosse right now because of COVID. You know, if you do this, the math of it, like that's a hundred less, probably a hundred and 125 less spots. If each co if college gives five, thinks like four or five kids are going to take their fifth year there. There's less, there's less opportunities for these kids to play division one. So more kids are going to be pushed down to division two, II, division three level than have in the past, especially in the 23 group, all the way down to the 24 group. That's when the whole covert extra year thing's over. Yeah. So, you know, um, I, it's just the reality. And I look at my FCA 23 team and my Calvert Hall 23s, I have a lot of really good late bloomers, like really, really, really good. And um, I'm excited for the fall for them because I think they're going to be, people are going to be like, who is that kid? Because we just, you know, they, they're just star. And some of these guys are going to go to some good division one schools. And, and a lot of them are going to go to some great division three schools. And it's going to be, and they're going to have a great career. My son's, uh, Jacob, who's a senior, his, one of his closest friends is a boy named Will Demuth, who played at Gilman, and he's at FNM. And I played golf with Jake and him the other uh, during the summer, and he just loves his experience. And and Will's uh, played on my FCA 2018 team, and he's a fantastic player. Yeah. And he loves FNM, and he loves the Division Three, and it's great lacrosse. So, and we had a young man at LaSalle, Frank Krug, helping us at next coaching yeah. three years on the JV. Division yeah. one LSMs in front of him. 
He gets a sh shot as a varsity. Nobody's ever seen him play, really, and has a great senior year. Next thing you know, he goes to DeSales, all-time yeah. ground ball like takeaway. Every, every record. Division one or three. Yeah. He, like, holds whole NCAA record. Has a yeah. great career. Now he's back coaching with us. Great story. Billy, we had a kid, Michael Autry, who played JV his junior year. I moved him to face-off because we didn't have a face-off. Like, go down and just play, be a face-off man in junior year. Ends up starting for us as a senior. All MIA. Had no idea where he was going. He commits to Robert Morris and has a great career at Robert Morris, you know. So, and that was in the spring of the senior year. So, you Coach, never know. Any, uh, any final thoughts uh, for parents, you know, in this first hot topic? Um, you know, I just think uh, being a parent, you have a critical role in this. And I think um, it's, you know, just with your kids, don't overdo it with them. And don't, you know, like, I think sometimes they put too much pressure on these kids to like, um, you know, like, have you called Bob? Have you done this? Have you, done, you know, and all these things, and then they just shut you out, you know? And so, you know, my thing is um, just to continue to be an encouragement to your, to your kids. Um, when they go out and do a prospect camp or do a, an event and they don't perform, um, they don't need to hear it from you. They already know, you know, um, my biggest encouragement to parents is don't talk about their performance. I do. I, I can honestly tell you, I do not talk to my kids about their performance after their games. Um, I will drive in the car. Um, even if my sons didn't play well, I'd just have yeah, good. And then after they take a shower, come down and eat, they might talk about it, but I really try. Um, I got, we've been working with a sports psychologist with our program and he helped me a lot as a dad um, of an athlete. And I just think um, parents really just have to, um, it's their kid's career. It's their thing. Um, obviously you need to help them in the process, but um, we just don't need to add any more pressure to them. That's awesome. This is good advice all for me too. Uh, no, I appreciate that coach. Um, we're going to move into our next segment, uh, X's and O insights, um, a segment for, uh, the coaches listening. So I had an email about a year ago from a coach who said, you know, you have all these great guests on coach Leahy and everybody's winning games and everybody's successful. And you talk about state championships and league championships. And my team's not like that. My team struggles to go 500. We have a whole set, different set of goals. And could you speak a little bit about kind of a different experience and could you have a guest on who could help help me through that so I thought it'd be fun if the three of us with our coaching experience just addressed when our seasons have gone off the rails when it's not going to be about championships when it's going to be about being 500 when it's going to be about just helping the guys find new senses of success and um, you know I thought I'd start with you Peter you had some teams that were amazing and you had some teams that struggled <laughs> so what was it like at the collegiate level when it didn't turn out the way you thought it was gonna gonna be before the season began or yeah. as you unrolled Nope. Um, if I reflect back to when I first inherited, you know, the University of Hartford program, I was the fourth coach in four years, um, you know, maybe five wins, um, you know, in those previous three, four seasons together. My first year, three wins. I think the next year, two. Um, and so I'm uh, absolutely a believer in, I would say, some moral victories. You have to be when you're trying to... Uh, build a culture, um, you know, recruit your guys, uh, instill your systems. Um, and so I think uh, good practices, uh, celebrating like small victories, 
um, of uh, maybe just players who have uh, demonstrated great effort. We would kind of do uh, what we called the Warhawk, uh, was something we created to create camaraderie and culture of just uh, the coaches and the players. And it was just a chain that the guys wore around their neck and uh, that would get passed around from week to week. But in those early years, we needed something like that to kind of go, hey, you know what, Bill Leahy was the hardest worker this week, and your teammates and your coaches recognized that. And, you know, that player would stand up there and, and say, hey, you know, thanks, guys. And so I think uh, creating some traditions like that and um, looking for the small wins would be my advice for a coach who is, you know, trying to create his own culture and taking over a program. Coach Kelly, does Calvert Hall ever struggle? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I, I honestly, in 2002 um, – I took over in 96 as the head coach and um, we went like three or four years where we didn't make the playoffs. And uh, after our 2003 team, I, 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 we went, I told my wife, I said, if we don't make the playoffs, man, I, I'm a terrible coach. You know, it's time for me to hang it up. <laughs> and we go into the season, we lost our first two games by one. And I literally was like, I, I think I, I'm terrible. Like we, you know, and then, um, interesting enough, um, it was funny. Uh, he, uh, this guy, Jules, who was our strength coach at the time, said to me, and he goes, uh, you know, you got the wrong guys in at the end of the game. And I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, the reason why, he's like, you got four guys that are really good that, that can get it done. But these other two guys, if the ball's on the ground, they're not going to get it. They're not competitors. They're not, they're, they're, they're just kind of skilled guys. And so, I decided, all right, I'm, I listened and I'm like, all right. So I took those two guys out and I put two other guys in that weren't as skilled, weren't as, as talented, but I, he, he did all the strength and conditioning. Like, those guys won't quit. So if they lose the ball, they're going to get. And so um, we ended up beating Gilman in double overtime and it was a spark to lit the flame. And that was the first championship we won. And if he didn't give me that advice, I would never I probably wouldn't, I wouldn't be on this podcast right now. I would have been done as a coach. I, I would have left because I felt the kids deserved better than me at that time. And so, um, you know, and I think uh, one of the things is finding, you don't need the best players, you need the right players. And part of it is instilling that mentality. Um, it helps to have the best players though, you know, it makes it a lot better and easier um, in, in some levels of it. So like we, we lost a lot and um, we, had, and I also think for myself as a coach, I look at success as our, to be the best team you can with your God given talents. So some of the best years I've had coaching were six and seven, because we really were a three and 10 team. We won three games more than I thought we should have won. So I, I don't get, you know, we, and, and at Calvert Hall, we, we never talk about winning ever. We don't talk about championships. We all know what the goals are, but we, we don't talk about winning. And that's everything that we talk about is like you were saying is that coach, it's about the process. It's about those little baby wins, like win this moment, win this day. And when you have teams that struggled, like this year was a struggle for us with COVID. We lost our best player. Um, we weren't, we got shut down 10 times and we just kept saying, Hey, look, we're just going to get better. We just keep getting better. And we lost like four or five games. You know, like we're just, it's all right. We're just going to keep getting better, you know, and um, every year is a very different year of how you approach it. And so um, if you're underachieving, that's when it's really difficult for me. It's like when kids don't give effort and how do you handle that? Um, but 
from an X's and O's perspective, you know, the, you know, I, I can tell you, I look at the success of Calvert Hall. I can go back to five failures that helped us build our program. And one of the failures was I was too enamored with the X's and O's, you know? And so I would be like, you know, I'll never forget. It was a game. Again, it was against Gilman. We had a great defensive scheme. We'd get the ball on the ground. Um, we never could pick it up. Gilman would pick it up and tick, 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 goal, goal, goal. And I realized I don't focus on the fundamentals enough. And so I changed my whole practice schedule where we do at least 30 minutes of skills and fundamentals. So if I didn't have a team that's really um, struggling, it's not about X's and O's. It's about development, fundamentals, and getting them better fundamentally. Because you could draw up the greatest plays in the world, but if you can't shoot and put it in the back of the net, what's the point? If you can't get a ground ball, what's the point? So, um, you know, and like you said, it's just about, you know, moral, like as little step victories and try to make it fun as much as you can, especially when you're losing. It, it, it gets tough. Yeah, my hardest year was in 2003. We had a decent team, but we had a locker room problem and that we had some really talented underclassmen. They were just much better than the seniors, but the seniors' time had come to play. And so we went with them for an awful long time and we lost a whole lot of games. And then you had locker room problems because the younger guys were like, we're better. We know we're better. Everybody knows we're better. Just turn us loose. But you just couldn't do it at the time. It, it would have blown up the entire locker room. And so we decided we had to win the locker room. So we weren't winning games, but we had to win the locker room. And a lot of that, just like you, BK, was with our strength and conditioning coach. He said, you can win the weight room too. So we kind of made a contest in the weight room to find out who could hang in there and compete the strongest and the longest. So it, whether it was like a, a, core, a core exercise and we'd see who could do the bridge the longest and, and whoever quits is out. And you'd have the last two guys and they, they'd be like on the fourth midfield. And they were proud. They got a big award. Everybody honored them, jumped on them, hit them on the head. That's a win for them. We go out and lose the next day. But everybody's still talking about the weight room competition or the award we had in the locker room. Or we read a team book. I think we read How to Win in the Locker Room by John Gordon. And so it just became we'll find other places where we're successful. And the interesting thing is we went on to be 500. I don't even think we made the playoffs at the state level. And the next year we won our first state championship with those younger guys. And they said, you know, it was a team building that we did. We were ready to play. You didn't think we were. We did all this team building. That made more of a difference behind the scenes for the following year when we had the talent, but we didn't have the, the locker room. And so I didn't even realize we had done all this great work kind of a year early behind the scenes, and we had won the locker room, and they had won each other. And that's what I hear you talk often, Brian, when I found clips online. When you dress your men, you talk about loving one another. You talk about playing for one another. Right? That's kind of when you have a team that's not – succeeding that that doesn't change right you're all in this together you have some really great lectures you want to talk a little bit about the expression you have to love each other and be there for one another yeah i mean you know look i i'm not coaching for the money you know it's you know you, you do it um, for me it's, it's a ministry in a sense um and i look at i try to be that aspect of it and i think billy you, you nailed it too it's like I think the hardest part of last year for me, I thought last year was my hardest season just as a coach um, in the COVID world is we didn't have a locker room. You know, you couldn't meet with the kids in the locker room at all. And, you know, that's where I think I'm pretty good at is the locker room. And so we, you know, look, we have a, I don't love the word culture because I think it's overused. I think it's a good word, but everybody throws like, this is our culture. It's a culture. A culture is a living, breathing 
or it's, it's alive. It's not a, it's not a slogan. It's not a thing on the board. Um, you know, and I, I think I look back to 2016 is when we really started uh, um, focusing on certain things. Um, and what I really always have talked about is servant leadership and um, true leaders serve and our captains serve and our captains are the ones who get the balls, who gets the goals, who do all these things. And, and they're in charge. The seniors are in charge of all the underclassmen, get them where they need to go. And then as the thing goes on, those underclassmen just love and will do whatever they can for those seniors. And, you know, there's a, there is a certain u- unity that we, we have sometimes, and sometimes you don't, but um, you know, the thing that we always talk about too, is that we want our kids to play with joy. Um, and we've been saying that since 2012, play with joy. And um, what I challenge each of my players is to pick one or two things to be thankful for when they step out on the field and just try to say that over and over again in their minds when they're playing, because when you play with joy, you're playing with freedom and we don't want our kids to play with fear. We want to play with freedom and love casts out all fear. So love casts out fear. And so if you can play for a love for one another, then you, you know, but at the same time, it all comes down to, you got to be a team first guy. You got to be a team player. And so many guys that, want the glory or want the six that story it it, it can it can great it can really hurt a team so for us we just talk about um and the other thing that we stress is humility we try to is like and our definition of humility is to, um really to be fully who you are uh and without having to prove anything be, be who god created you to be without having to prove anything so um and you know, at the end of the day, it, it is about loving one another, caring for one another, taking care of one another, serving one another, um, being there for one another. Um, the other thing that we do, really, kind of on what you were talking about. Um, so, if you ever look at our helmets, we have little cardinals on the back of our helmets, and um, the kids. Once a week, I have the kids; they can give those cardinals out, and it's strictly based off of service service to the team, serving a teacher, serving somebody in the community, serving one another, whatever it is. And so on, if you have a Sunday practice, it'd be like, you know, one kid will raise his hand, hey, I want to give it to, to Johnny because Johnny helped me with my, my homework. Or Bobby takes me to school every day. Or, you know, my mom has cancer. Um, and we want to know, like, here's the thing with, as for me as a coach, Clear, you 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 got to know what your kids are dealing with, and you you have to know. Um, you're like, I want to know when their girlfriend breaks up with them. In high school, your one girlfriend break up away from being really bad. It, it, it messes with you. I want to know when their grandmother or grandfather passes away, or you know they or something. Some kids, if they fail a test, because clear mind, better performance. And you got to help these kids. It's all about the mind. And I sit there and as a dad, you know, you see it as you're with your own kids and just dealing with it. And so I know I'm all over the place, but there's so many things I can talk about that permeate the love. And as you know, coach, it's like everything's a journey and a season. And so as you develop, you do develop 
a love for one another. If you have that really good team, you know, it's like there is a love, even in the bad years or this year's. Um, and as you know, there's nothing better than after the season, win or lose, just hugging in the locker room, caring for one another. And it's just like your relationships for life. It's special. Yeah. And that's how you measure your season right there. Everything you just said, it's how they love one another, how you served one another, how you were there for each other. It was Mitch Green, a sports psychologist who worked with our LaSalle team, has been on the show twice. He's really great. He said to me, coach, you are measuring your team wrong. You're not, you don't measure by wins and losses. You measure by how you care for one another. You measure for how you won each other. And you measure how uh, you see each other years later and you see each other on the street. And you just are overwhelmed with joy, big smile. You go down memory lane, you meet your former player's friend or his kids, and that's winning in the big picture. And you got you to gotta stop measuring the wrong way. It, it's like you, when you focus on outcomes, that's when I get fearful. And that's when I get anxious. When I go into a game and say, like, oh, my gosh, if we don't win this game, we're not going to make the playoffs. And then I'm fearful, right? and anxious just think about the same thing for kids it's like and and for these parents it's like you got you know if you don't perform at this prospect camp you're you're you're, it's over you know and then that's an outcome uh you see all these coaches on the sidelines you know i mean you know uh loyal universities here that's where you want to go to school you better perform that's an outcome you have to be focusing on processes and if it's all process focused and if your kids I tell our kids when they're playing in front of college coaches, it's blinders on, man. You're like a thoroughbred horse. You don't look side to side. It doesn't matter what they're there. Next play, next play, good, bad, whatever. You can't focus. Once you start focus on outcomes, then you play with fear. Then you play stressed. And then you, you don't have that freedom. And it happens from a recruiting, from a team, um, and from a coach's perspective as well. I hope my uh, my club players are listening as we're about to approach November. Um, I think that's great advice that you can't focus on those outcomes and the blinders. Um, Coach, you just said so many great things, um, you know, Mo, about playing with joy, uh, humility, um, you know, loving your teammates. Is that what you would describe as like the Calvert Hall way? Yes, I, I would, you know, and it's not, look, um, you know, one of the things that's loving our teammates is if you're going to come after one of our guys, you know, we got his back too. You know, like we're not like where you can walk us on it over as a map, but that is who we are. Yes. We love one another. We're going to be great competitors. We're going to, it's uh, the way I measure our success is about effort. I just care about effort. And that is how I would describe it. it is a love for one another. It's special. It's a family. It's, it's just, you know, like the other day, one of my, players back in the 90s came home and um flying jets for the air force all over and just talked about how much um came home for his dad's funeral how much he just loves and it's about a love for one another and so uh i appreciate you saying that because i do i think that's what people are like oh they got all these kids i think that has a lot to do with it but there is a special unity about what we're trying what we have in our locker room and what we have within Sounds like uh, just, uh, you know, you're fortunate to work with a lot of men of, you know, young men of great character. And obviously that starts with you, you know, great leadership. I'm curious because we have, you know, listeners that and you again wear this hat as a, a FCA club coach, right? You've been involved with FCA. You talk about the locker room. This is something I've struggled with coming from being a college coach 
and I think you have a perspective on it, you know, of you don't have as much time with guys, you know, in the club environment like you do, you know, with a high school team and you really get to build and be with them every single day. Whereas, you know, those moments are fleeting with a club. How is it different working with like your FCA club, you know, and kind of what is the FCA way? Um, because you do have a little less time with those guys. How do you, you know, balance that and still kind of create, you know, um, again, you know, uh, a culture? Uh, you know, that's a great point. Um, it's not, a, it, it's hard uh, because you have kids coming from different programs. And, and like I've always said, there's a lot of ways that you can do it. My way is not always, the, you know, the, the, there's a lot of ways you can do it and, and not one way is wrong or one way is right. This is just who I, I just have to be who I am, right? And how we all have to be. Um, you know, from an FCA, we, we do talk about the same things that I try to express at Calvert Hall. But look, we practice once a week, you know, right now leading up to the fall. You know, I got kids from different schools and I love it uh, that I get to know and get to see. Um, and you try to stress those type of things that you want to stress um, as they play. But it's, 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 it's different when you don't have a locker room. It, it really is. But what we do at FCA is that we do a huddle after every practice. Um, so we have like a, try to do a 15 minute huddle where it's, it's kind of like, uh, like a Bible study you would say, but it's also about talking about certain things. Like last night, I, we had a practice with our 23s and, um, I talked about just playing in the presence of God, you know, like he, he's your audience an audience of one. And that's what we stress at Calvin Hall. Like, so you don't have to focus on the coaches, right? It's an audience of one. And if you just, you know, do your best you can with your God-given talents in, 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 in the name of God and Jesus or whoever you believe, you know, that's, you're, you're going to win the day, you know, and that's what all we can do. So we try to instill it, but it's never going to be like a, a high school or a college. There's something special that's just deeper, you know, from that perspective. Yeah, no, totally makes sense. That's, uh, like, again, that's been a, my, a little bit of my struggle you know, I don't have the, the high school environment every day or the college environment anymore. And, um, you know, sometimes I got to feel like, you know what, deep breath, take a step back. Am I trying to be too demanding and just this, right? You know, coaches well, out there with their last I, I think The other thing is with club, there's always another game. So, like, it's really hard for me because I'm competitive and I want guys to compete. And then you're coaching your team and they're not competing. And I – Sit there sometimes I'll call I like I, I can't do this anymore <laughs> like I, I I can't coach guys that aren't gonna get after it you know and that's what I see happening in clubs sometimes you know it's just uh, I got another game oh, there's another tournament there's no, you know so there's a lot and I'm not like knocking it but that's what we struggle with as coaches that you struggle we all struggle with it's just yeah. different well as your Calvert Hall fellow alumni coach uh, you know, the Calvert Hall way as you go through it I'm just so proud to have been your teammate proud of all you've done for our great school and you've really built something on the field but as we've been discussing in the locker room that's touching impressive and just kind of something that us alum are really proud of all of us so thanks bud thank you coach I think the what I would be most curious about and I think our listeners um, you know is how does a successful high school coach like yourself view 
some of these Philadelphia programs that are right here in our backyard. And not that we don't have listeners from all over the country, but, you know, Coach Leahy is, you know, the all-time winningest coach at LaSalle, a great program. I mentioned my son is a sophomore at Haverford. You have programs like Radnor, you know, Malvern. Um, Springfield has a great tradition. I'm just curious for someone who, born and raised, you know, in the hotbed of lacrosse, again, successful high school coach, how do you view, you know, the programs up here, the players that are coming out of this area? I think that would be uh, interesting to our listeners. I, I mean, look, it, it's great lacrosse. I have so much respect for all the schools that you mentioned. They're all if, as talented, if not more talented than us. It's all a year-to-year thing. You know, you think about the teams, uh, you know, from – that's why we want to play Malvern every year. That's why we, we scrimmage Haverford every year. Um, you know, uh, Billy and I would be play each other every year. Uh, Conestoga, we try to play throughout the years. Radner, trying to work something out because they're phenomenal teams, great games. And one year we might be better than them and or beat them. And that doesn't mean we're better, but we might beat them. And one year they might beat us, you know. And um, it's just, I think it's Philadelphia lacrosse is, 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 it's the highest level across in the country, in my opinion, along with, you know, Maryland and, and Long Island. I don't think there's a separation. I think they all go hand in hand um, in, in my perspective. Is there any certain like characteristics you think of, you know, of like uh, lacrosse players that are in this area? My, my thinking is all the time when I think of like a Maryland lacrosse player, someone who grows up there is uh, high lacrosse IQ, um, and really, really good stick skills. I, I feel like anytime I see um, guys I played with in college, um, we play a club team. I see a high school team from Maryland. Um, you know, uh, those kids are always going to be very well coached and have very good stick skills. I didn't know if there's like certain characteristics you think of of players from Philadelphia. Yeah, I mean, I think when I think about um, a Philly uh, team. Um, First of all, they're all well coached. I mean, you, you look at your high school coaches, they're some of the best in the country, um, you know, from Johnny McAvoy to all down the, the line. Um, I, when I think of Philly, I'm like, you guys, it's going to be a physical game. We got to come out. We got to come out ready to play. Um, they're going to try to step on your throat, pipe, run it down, and you got to be ready to go. And if you're not well willing to compete, you're going to, it's going to be a long day. So, you know, when you play a Philly team, it's, um, it's kind of like a rivalry game. Every time you play, you know, you, you feel it the next day, you know, type of thing, which, which is good. It's physical. It's tough. Um, as they always say, what is it? A car, Philly, Philly tough or Philly strong, whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's, there's truth to that. You know, there's a, a little bit of a, a good blue collar mentality. And I think that's kind of how we are at Calvin Hall. It's like, we're kind of one of those blue collar type schools. Um, and so uh, that's how I view Philly. It, it, but again, it's they're very well coached. I don't. I really don't see a difference from a skills to um, coaching. Uh, none of that. I I just think they're all the same from that end of it. But I do think Philly has that. You know, lunch pail. Let's we're going to get after it mentality. No, that's great. And I saw that BK over all the years. Right, my early years, we'd come down and get hammered by you and everybody else. And then there was the mid nineties where we hung in there. We didn't win, but we were proud and thought we were tougher. And then at the end, we really felt that we could hang 
with the Baltimore teams and play well, win or lose, which is great lacrosse on both ends. So, which leads me to the MIA journey, right? Me and you got to experience that as players and teammates, which was incredible. They argue that the heart, it's the hardest league in the nation. Walk us through what it's like to be the head coach in, in the MIA going up against Loyola, Gilman, McDonough. I mean, it just doesn't stop. So for those yeah. who aren't familiar with Baltimore and MIA league lacrosse, help them understand what it was like for us back in the day and for you today. Um, you know, I, again, I, I'm not sitting here saying that we are the best teams in the country. You know, some years we might, but I, I, I do feel like it is the best league in the country. Um, uh, and I view it kind of like the NFL. You, every game you could lose, you can win, you can lose. It's every team's very, very good. Um, you play Tuesday, Friday. So you, you have two days to prepare. Um, you never get a break. It's a grind. You know, people always go, why don't you play in that, in that high school, the Gecko high school event? Cause I'm like, cause I'm done after this season. Like I, <laughs> I, I don't want to play another event because it's such a long, hard process. And to try to get your kids motivated and up for every single game, it, 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 it takes work. And um, you know, so you could lose to the last place team, to the first place team. Six teams make the playoffs. You have one bad hiccup. You could be out, you know, and it's based off the head to head, all these things. So um, it, it's, it, there's nothing like it. it. It's a lot of fun and every game is intense. Yeah, the Inside Lacrosse article does a great job of explaining how you and your team work with a sports psychologist. Yeah. What did you learn as a coach and what did you learn about your men? Well, I've been working with this guy since he's a Philadelphia, he's a Pennsylvania, Dr. Jared Spencer since 2012. Um, I talked to him once a week during the season. And uh, I, uh, he's been working with my program ever since. So our kids still, we still work with them, you know? So like, he just, I, I can tell you, so we played Conestoga when we were 2012, we were number one team in the country. And Conestoga was fourth in the country. And we, um, we were winning 10 to five going into the fourth quarter. And Conestoga started pressuring us. And our guys started falling apart. And they started making a comeback. And we ended up losing the game 11-10. And uh, the next day, you know, I, I was that night, I looked at some of Dr. Spencer's things. And I'll just try to make a long story short. Um, this is when I realized we were outcome driven. Um, I went in the next day into the locker room. I gave the kids a piece of paper and I said, I want you to think about, uh, write down what you were thinking when the storm came. Cause we talk about the storm. It's the storm. What, is it, what were you thinking when the storm came? And they wrote their things down and we collected it. And, um, only one person, Tyler Mays, said that he was thinking about getting the next round ball, the next stop. Um, we, we categorized them in three levels. Um, the third most popular thing is like, what will people say in school? The second was what will the forums and, you know, kind of like social media would say. And the number one overwhelming response was what will my parents say? And I was like blown away by that. So, after I got that response, I would call, I called Jared and we talked and 
this is when we started building the mind, just like your outcome and being process focused, not outcome focused, focus on the process, not the results. And, you know, so I'll call him, like I have, a, I have some kids that are dealing with some stuff and I'll call him on a kid. How do I handle this situation? How do I handle that situation? You know, I have an idea for the theme for the year. Here's my idea for my theme. What do you think of this idea? And he just helps me. And he's helped me a ton as a, as a coach and as a parent, as a father. And then he, he'll talk to some of our kids. And then what I try to do is he'll come in and speak to our team twice a year, usually maybe once sometimes. And then every three years, I have him come in and speak to our parents on how to be a parent of an athlete. Wow. Real commitment to him and, and, and to you. All huh? of you have a real commitment to him. Yeah. And it's not cheap either, but it's like worth every penny of it. You know what I mean? I don't mean that like anything because to me, it's the best money I could spend because I think that's the mind. And the sad part is the parents that come are those who usually don't really need to hear it. And it's the parents who need to hear it. that don't come, you know, and it's like, you know, so you try to make it mandatory, but um, it's just, it's, it's, he's, it's been a, a really key, I think, part of our success. It sounds like it would be fair to say you think uh, just as much of the game, if not more of the game, is mental than it is physical? Um, yes. I think the mind is the most critical aspect. So, like, when we were going for our, our three-peat, we're, there's never been a three-peat before. And, like, we don't talk about winning. You know, like, I'll go back to 2018. Um, Dave Huntley, my best friend, longtime assistant coach, dies before that year. We're going into the semifinal game, and my senior captain's dad dies of a heart attack um, the day of that game. And, you know, we still had the game. So, like, I, the only reason I think that team – I don't think most teams could have won, won that year, but it, it was the mind. It was like – I mean, I worked tirelessly on trying to help focus on, on the mind of, of it and just kind of go through that process, you know, in like 19, when we're three-peating, you know, I met with the team uh, before and it was all over the paper and, and I just talked about the storm and I, I shared a story of, of, of when the disciples were on the boat and they saw Jesus out in the water and um, Peter says, hey, can I walk out to the water to you, to, to Christ? And Christ said yes. And so he ends up walking out on water and I share it with the kids. I'm like, so he walks in water and then all of a sudden he sinks. And I'm like, why did he sink? And um, they go, I don't know. I said, you know, because they were focusing on the storms, focusing on the noise, it's the noise. And then when he focused his eyes on God, he could walk on water. But when he started focusing on the storm and all the other things, he sank. If you start focusing on the three P we're not, you're going to sink. If you start focusing on college coaches and all this other stuff, you're going to sink. You just got to focus on the one thing. And we talk about audience of one, this, but that's what you need to focus on. And so he's helped me with that. I mean, that's always been what I thought, but he's helped me understand the process, the important part of processing of it. So I, I, I think where, like, if you look at the world of COVID today, we're not built for isolation. The suicide rate is 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 one hundred percent higher than it was prior into high school kids. When you're sitting in your room and isolated by yourself, 
what is your mind? You're just, your mind's being filled with noise and lies and stuff. And so that's why we need community. That's why we need a locker room. That's why we need like friends, fellowship. So we can understand it. Fill our, our minds with truth. Like you're loved, you're great. You're, you're, you're a gift, you're a blessing. And that's what kids need to hear more. Um, you know, they don't need to hear like you blew it sometimes, you know, like, look, I'm tough as a coach. I'm not, you know, I, I hold them accountable, but that's the thing where I, I worry about today more than anything is I feel my part really is deeply concerned for our kids because of um, social media, all that's there. Um, and now that we're getting hopefully out of the COVID world that these kids can get back. Cause I've seen a higher level of psychological issues with high school kids than I've ever seen before. Yeah, you mentioned your dear friend, Dave Huntley. Um, not everybody knows Dave, that he was a, a legend in Canadian lacrosse, a legend at Hopkins and with Calvert Hall and you and your dear friend, and you lost him in 2018, but he made a huge impact on Calvert Hall lacrosse, especially offensively as almost an offensive genius in your read and react offense. So we haven't done an awful lot of uh, X and O's here. You want to walk us through the difference he made and as a person and as an offensive thinker? Yeah. I mean, Dave was brilliant. Um, he thought outside the box and like he, um, a lot of what he shared with me like seven years ago comes, I see it in fruition now. Um, so um, I can't, Tell you how much he helped me as a, as a coach, as a dad. Um, you know, his son was probably one of the best that ever played for me. Um, but um, Dave, it's the whole read and react ability is a funny story because my oldest was 10 at the time. And I didn't like what we were doing offensively. And I, I and Dave was, Kevin was at Hopkins and he just started, said, hey, I want to come back and help again. So he starts coming back. And I said, look, I want to run this basketball offense that I'm doing with my son because I was his coach. And, um, and I didn't tell him what it was. He's like, well, let me do some research. And he does some research. He reads, finds something on the read and react. And he goes, hey, I saw this thing on read and react. I go, well, that's what I'm coaching with my son is this read and react offense. I had all the tapes and everything. And then he went through the tapes and he just took it to a different level and just incorporated with a lacrosse mindset. And uh, that's just how Dave was analytically um, when everybody was talking about the alley dodge, he thought it was the worst dodge in the world. And he's pretty much right. You know, now, you know, um, he just, just different things. And he was brilliant. Um, he was tough. Like, and he, his imprint is massive on our program. We're not where we are today. If he wasn't part of it. Yeah. Firsthand 2004, we're feeling it. I think we were ranked way up there. We come down to play you. His son is a senior. Yeah. He just unloads. He's playing like a Canadian. You're reading, reacting everywhere. The game gets away from us. I walk down to Coach Rash and I say, what are we going to do to stop Kevin Huntley? And he says, nothing. We're going to sit back and watch and enjoy the show. <laughs> He's, he, was, he was amazing. Great kid, too. Leading scorer in Calvert Hall history still? Yep, by one point. Get out. Who's second by one point? Uh, that would be my son, Jacob. Really? Yeah. Wow. What amazing company, both of them. Special players. I was like, yeah, you didn't get them. So it's good. Yeah, that was funny. Yeah. I think for our listeners, you talked about 
you know, kind of self-betterment, you know, um, of going, hey, I'm willing to invest in a sports psychologist as a coach. It, it, you sound like someone who's always trying to get bread better. I imagine you're preaching that, you know, uh, to your players. And so I hear that as a coach um, and, and find that very enviable. Uh, are there other things, you know, beyond the sports psychologist, things that you do, um, you know, to keep yourself motivated, to continue to keep challenging yourself uh, in your players uh, and kind of this process of self-betterment? Yeah, I, I think, you know, um, I, I, I read a great book. It's called Leadership and Self-Deception. And um, the first thing you always have to do is look inward, you know, no matter what, uh, if, if something fails from a leader leadership perspective. And I, I, I do, I, I look, I try to look inward and, and then the reality of the truth of like, okay, I, I got to get better here. I, I, I ha it's okay. Like to say, like, I'm not good at this. I need to get better at this. And so, um, you know, and failure isn't fatal, you know, it's, it's failure is teachable. It's where you learn and you grow. And so I've learned so much through failure. And so I, I, I do um, like to self reflect. And so I'm always looking for ways to learn. Um, I think the day I stop trying to learn lacrosse or learn more about how I can help our kids and get them better, um, then it's time for me to stop, you know? So like going into this year, you know, um, I, I like the, we always use Jay Dyer and Jay Dyer is the best strength and conditioning guy out there. And we're, you know, now uh, I'm, I, we're working with this agility coach, um, this guy named PJ, and he's been phenomenal just because I looked at our team and just trying to see what we can be. Um, we're not going to be big and strong. So I, we, I'm like, we really need to be quick and fast and, and, and do those things. So I'll look at our season and look at what we have to have as a group and to figure out like, what can we do to help these kids become better that um, in the areas that they're good at. And so that's kind of where I, I am. And so I'm always trying to figure out ways of learning and just, and then the other thing that I, I, you know, fortunately I have the ability to do is like, I like to go to a college once a year and just a random school and ask a coach if I could just spend the weekend and watch and learn and be a fly on the wall. And the amazing thing is these, all these college coaches are so gracious with me and, you know, will give us that time. Um, unfortunately I haven't been able to do it the last two or three years, but um, you know, things that I do defensively, I, I, I watched went to Notre Dame for a weekend and just learned from Jerry Burns stuff that you kind of do. And, you know, I've been out to Ohio State, I've been to like to, um, to Maryland, I've been just different places and, you know, just and always want to learn. No, I think it's great. Um, and I'm sure that rubs off, um, you know, on your Calvert Hall players and your, and your FCA players. I'm curious, um, how you project that onto your players of, uh, I heard you say like the next play, you know, what is, a, what is that kind of coaching philosophy you use in terms of allowing your players, I guess, to take some risks to like kind of self-assess and, you know, get better, you know, how do you, I guess, um, you know, pass on that philosophy? Yeah. I mean, to me, it's like, um, I, I want them to, um, you know, obviously you have freedom to fail and freedom to succeed. Um, you know, obviously you want to play within the boundaries that you're given within it. Um, and I, I do, I want our kids, especially in practice, like, look, try that, you know, behind the back. It's something that you need to do. Like work on your craft. Um, 
I'd rather you, you know, drop balls and practice and work on your opposite hand than, than to work on the other things. I think the other thing that, uh, you know, like with our kids, um, it's all about wanting to get them to be better and to develop as players, but more importantly, develop as teammates. And I think they all work together to try to make each other better and iron sharpens iron. And so um, they'll do a lot of stuff on their own afterwards and just do, do work on their, on their own. And then we'll play indoor some and we just let them play. We'll let them play 3v3. Um, we don't run plays at Calvert Hall. We, we run a philosophy. I don't run plays with FCA. It takes a little bit longer to build. It's read and react. They have to learn how to read a defense and they have to learn how to make the right decisions based off of what the defense has us. Everything that they do is based off of them having to read. So it could take a little bit longer, but it empowers them and gives them the control. So I know I have a great team when I can call a timeout and say, what do you see? Like, coach, if we move the guys here, like, I think that's a good call. You know, so it, it just takes a little bit longer to do. And I think that's the hardest part, I think, with certain coaches in club is that they want results right away. Um, you know, my FCA, I'm coaching my son's 28 team. Uh, we got spanked in the last tournament. We went one and three. And uh, I couldn't have been any more pleased because we're running something that's really hard. And these kids are trying to figure out how to read a defense. We're not running play. And they're not good at it yet. And I keep telling them, like, it's all right. You, you watch. By the time you guys get in the eighth grade, even though you're in sixth grade, you're going to be really good at this. Like, this is what we're building for. And then the other thing I always tell our kids, too, is, like, the ball will always find you. When you want to try to score, you're not going to score. Like, the, the ball's going to find you. Just play within the flow of the game, and it's going to find you. So that's kind of – That's our philosophy offensively. Now you're, now you're saying all the – you know, obviously, Coach and I – Right, uh, eating it up, lacrosse <laughs> IQ right there. Exactly, you're just developing all, IQers yeah, right there. All, all the buzzwords, all the words you're saying. I love everything. So thank you for sharing. You really empower your players, coach. And so as we bring our show to an end here a little bit, who empowered you over your journey? What coaches were influential, and why? Um, I would say Bob Prater, mm -hmm. uh, my rec coach. Um, he probably was the best, uh, one of the best coaches that I ever had. He, he moved me from midfield to defense. Um, he taught us me work ethic in a lot of ways. You know, Billy, you and I were on the same team. Um, and, you know, what I respected about Bob is that I was bigger and faster and stronger than everybody else. When I was in sixth, seventh grade, I was one of those kids that hit puberty really early. And he would never let me throw a check. He made me play position the whole time. And I could have taken the ball away from kids and gone over the heads. And so he gave me the foundation. If he allowed me to go out and take over at that age and win games for us, he would have done me a massive disservice as a player. So he taught me the importance of building a foundation for kids and, and not like sacrificing their development in doing so. And so often we all see that big midi in sixth, seventh, eighth grade who can just run through everybody and they give him the ball and he scores every time and no one can stop him. But then he becomes a sophomore and everybody's the same size and he doesn't know how to play, right, without the ball and the stick or all these other things. So you're, you're doing that kid a disservice. But you might win the, the club tournament, but you're not 
and Melody Knight did at that time. So I think that's one of the things where Bob had a huge impact on me. Um, and then the other impact was honestly was North Carolina's FCA. Um, I, well, I heard a guy talk and he said that, you know, uh, a, a couple of coaches speak and how a coach can have sometimes more of an impact on a kid than their parents. And then that's what made me like, I really want to be a coach if I can have an impact like that. Well, they were special days, our Cockeysville teams, and you're right. Bob Prater might have been the most fundamentally sound coach I ever had. And I had an awful lot of good ones from Dave Cottle and others along the way. But. Yeah, and Mike Thomas at Calvert Hall, who was a phenomenal coach, you know, and he helped us develop again. He took what Bob did and he just carried it to another level. He, he taught me so many little things. And then I've learned so much, Billy, just from other coaches, you know, listening and watching. I, like I think about Coach Thomas, he, he just – he just was such a disciplined person and just really helped us understand what it meant to be a hardworking discipline, not to cut corners. And he was, a, he just, he made us all better. When we went to college, we knew what we were doing. Cause he was, he was just a great coach. Yep. Sure. Sure. Was it's hard to believe when you look back, or at least when I look back and I see these men who made a difference in both of our lives and then plenty of others as we got older. And you didn't even know at the time that you were being coached by, some of the best coaches like in the country. You just didn't know. It, you talk about privilege. That was a real privilege. I did nothing to earn Bob Prater coaching me. Then I didn't do anything to earn Mike Thomas. I didn't do anything to earn Terry Corcoran. Then you end up with Dave Cottle. And by the time you're done those four, that, that's like a heck of a resume as a player. Yeah. And you soak you know, half of that up from each of them. And all of a sudden, how could I not go and coach a fledgling program at LaSalle and make them halfway good. It's on the shoulders of all those men, not me. Yeah. I learned a ton from Coach Scroggs in Carolina and just observing how he dealt with us. And then I had Farman for my senior year and he was my, you know, it's just, you just learn a lot of things from all these coaches, you know, um, and they all have a piece of you. They're, they've all put a piece of them in you as a coach. And so um, it's good. All right, so let's bring our show to an end with my favorite part. This is our rapid-fire next homework. Let's go! I'm going to ask if you have any homework for a player, then a parent, and then a coach, and then I'll ask you what you've been reading or listening to lately, and then Coach Lawrence will bring us home. You ready to do this? Yep. All right, here we go. What homework do you have for a player who's listening? Be a great teammate, number one. Um, put your, the team before yourself. Um, and, and, and serve your teammates. It's not about you. It's about making other people better. It's not about you. A favorite Leahy saying. I love it. Thanks. For parents who are listening, their homework. Support and love your kid, which I know you do. Um, your homework is not to have uh, – don't talk about the, uh, the game after the game. Um, let your kid come home, have dinner, and then if he brings it up, then you can talk about it. And homework for a youth coach or a high school coach who might be listening? Uh, understand, get to know your players. Um, understand who they are. Every kid's very different. And you need a coach based off of that kid and who they are as a person. All right. And what are you reading or listening to these days? Uh, I listen to a lot of different things. Uh, uh, from, uh, but uh, Reading. Um, I've just reread The Way of the Shepherd. It's a great leadership book that I do with our team every year at Calvert Hall. So um, it's, a, it's a great little brief read, uh, leadership book. Thanks, Coach. Yeah. 
I want to thank you, Coach Kelly, uh, for being our guest. Um, obviously, we really enjoyed spending time with you uh, this evening. Uh, we wish you and the Cardinals at Calvert Hall and your FCA club teams uh, the best as you guys more move forward into this fall. Um, and that's a wrap for Episode 4, Season 3, here at the Next Offices in Conshohocken. We're excited to get on the field with our next boys and girls teams this fall season. We'll keep the episodes coming. Our goal is to record a show each week this fall. And for our producer, Justin, our host, Coach Bill Leahy, our guest, Brian Kelly, we're signing off from the offices here in Conshohocken. Thanks. Amen. Thanks, BK. What'd you think, bud? We, we do okay? Yeah, I do it again. I'll make you better at it. I don't know. I'm all over the place. <laughs>